Great to see you all here tonight. Thanks for coming back. Those of you who are here in the morning and those of you who weren't, welcome to our evening service. paraphernalia here. Tonight I have on one hand an extremely simple message. Basically, basically it's, it's one point reiterated in many different ways. But it goes back to the very same idea. And on the other side of the coin it's I think, simply profound. Uh, it's an area that I've been uh, meditating on this week and uh, I've enjoyed immensely. Last week I spoke about the eternality of God. I decided to do one more lesson on the eternality of God with two desires. First, to answer the question, how is one to grasp the concept of Eternality. On the one hand, that's easy. You just say, well, God always existed. Eternity past, eternity future. There never was a time there wasn't God. But to get your head around that, uh, to, to really comprehend the fullness of the issues that are associated with that, requires a lot of meditation. Secondly, what relevance does God's being eternal have to us. So, what? That God is eternal. What does that mean for us in a practical, everyday uh, lesson? So, tonight, the key verse is Psalm 90, verse 2. Before the mountains were born, or you brought forth the earth and the world, from everlasting to everlasting you are God. The first section is just a review from last week. We said that God is eternal. Meaning that God has no beginning or ending. From everlasting to everlasting, you are God. God is, creation is not eternal. Before the mountains were born, or you brought forth the earth and the world. So they had a beginning. Creation had both a beginning and an end. Creation has a beginning. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And creation has an end. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire. And the earth and everything in it will be laid bare. God has life in himself. Jesus said, for as the Father has life in himself, even so he gave to the Son also. To have life in himself. So we emphasized last week that God is self-existent. And if you remember, I want to pick up on where we ended last. And that was a statement that the belief in an eternal God is not unreasonable. It's not out there. It's not something to be embarrassed or ashamed about. Because everyone believes in something that is eternal. And I mentioned that the basic law of conservation 
is that matter cannot be created or destroyed, which is a statement of eternality. Can't be created, never had a beginning. Can't be destroyed, never had an end. So you have a choice. You can believe in a matter which is eternal, or you can believe in a God that is eternal. And tonight, the thought that I want to drive home is that creation helps us to understand the eternality of God. Almost without exception, when the Bible wants to relate to us the concept of God being eternal, it's in association with the fact that He made heaven and earth. So there is a lesson to be learned from that. In Romans 1.20, a verse that I think many of you are very familiar with, states, For since the creation of the world, His invisible attributes, His eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen. The Scripture says that by looking at creation, you can see that there is a God. And historically, Christendom has uh, used that as a tremendous argument for the idea that you can see God in creation. Namely, you can see the wisdom of God. You can see design. You can see purpose. Uh, you can see that uh, there is an orderliness to creation. But what I want to point out tonight is that it says that His eternal power and divine nature have been clearly revealed. So that we should see, by looking at creation, that God is eternal. We are to derive from looking around us a concept of eternality. So how does that work? The Psalms are filled with this idea. First, the psalmist looks to the hills or the mountains for a lesson on eternality. It is the most common illustration in the scriptures. For example, Psalm 121.1 I will lift up my eyes to the mountains. From whence shall my help come? The psalmist is not saying, I'm going to look up unto the mountains and that's where my help is coming from. That's not what he's saying. He's saying, as I look at the mountains, I ask the question, where does my help come from? Because the mountains surrounded the city of Jerusalem. The mountains were a form of protection for the city of Jerusalem. And so the psalmist, as he looks at these great mountains, and as the inhabitants of Jerusalem took a measure of confidence in their <coughs> security because of these mountains, the psalmist says, well, where does my help come from? Where is my mountain? Where is the bulwark in my life? Where is my protection? Where does my help come from? The answer, the psalmist's reply, is that his help comes from the Lord. My help comes from the Lord. And if you remember last week, I emphasized that when you read in your English Bible, Lord with all capital letters, such as it is found in verse 2 
of Psalm 121, it refers to the name of Jehovah. Sometimes you have Lord with capital L, small O-R-D, and that can refer to Adonai. It means, it means Lord. It means ruler. It means powerful one. But capital L-O-R-D is Jehovah God. And the root of Jehovah God is that he is self-existent. He is the great I Am. He's the eternal one. So the psalmist says, my help comes from Jehovah, the self-existent eternal God. The psalmist asserts that the Lord is the one who made the mountains. My help comes the Lord who made heaven and earth. That one who made these mountains that surround the city of Jerusalem and protects us is none other than Jehovah God. And the application is that the Lord's help will last forever. The Lord God will guard your going out, your coming in from this time forth and forever. So the application from an eternal God is that He is there to help us from now and forevermore. He is always there, just as the mountains are, which is B. Just as the earth lasts through many generations, so too God lasts through many generations. Psalm 119, verse 90. Thy faithfulness continues throughout all generations. Thou didst establish the earth and it stands. Unlike the earth, who has a beginning and an end, God has no beginning and no end. I say, O oh my God, do not take me away in the midst of my days. Thy years are throughout all generations. And each one of these ensuing passages that are cited under D emphasizes the reality that God is present through every generation. For Psalm 102, verse 25, Of old thou didst found the earth, and the heavens are the work of thy hands. Even they will perish, but thou dost endure. And all them will wear out like a garment, like clothing. Thou wilt change them, and they shall be changed. But you are the same, and thy years will not come to an end. So as you unpack those verses, in Psalm 102, verse 26, it states, even they will perish, but you will endure. It is hard for us to imagine anything that endures forever. The best example that we can have of something that endures forever that we can relate to in our experience are the mountains. Are the mountains. They have been there long before any human being ever existed. The Rocky Mountains were there before there was a human being on the face of this earth. We live in the Susquehanna Valley. We're surrounded by the Blue Mountains. Some places you can't see that nearly as well as from the farmhouse that I grew up in. I had this incredible view 
of the Blue Mountains. They are there. And every generation before us has experienced that very same mountain. There are people that love to take trips to the Holy Land. And it is pretty amazing to think 2,000 years later that you can walk in the very same mountain, Mount Olivet, that Jesus walked on. And that Jesus prayed on. That same mountain has endured. It was there before 3 A.D. And it's going to be there long after you and I are on the face of the earth. But even the mountains, even they grow old. They erode. And you can see the effects of of rivers that will just begin to erode the most firm rock. Those rivers will get deeper. Or those rivers will become more shallow because of the buildup of the sediment that comes as a result of erosion. You can see the effect. Uh, I was pretty amazed when I went to uh, Alaska. I was able to take a uh, cruise to Alaska. And I saw that great glacier. But what I was amazed at was how small it was. Because over time, that great bit of ice has eroded incredibly. And so the pictures that we usually get or see are quite old. (laughs) But when you see it today, it doesn't match those pictures. You can see creation aging. But God Himself does not age. He does not wear out. God does not grow old. He doesn't grow senile. He doesn't grow weak. He doesn't change in His essence. Now, usually when we think about God changing, we use the term immutable. That is that God does not change. But immutability speaks of God's um, character. That that God won't change in the sense that He will no longer be a loving God. That He becomes a, a wrathful God. God doesn't change in His purpose. God doesn't change in His resolve. God doesn't change in His truth or His understanding. That really is wrapped up in our term for immutable. But when we think about eternality, it's a statement of God always in the present. Always in the present so that He does not experience any change whatsoever. Thou art the same, and thy years will not come to an end. D. Like many generations have lived in the same place, so too the same relationship to God exists through the generations. The Psalm uh, Moses uh, said in Psalm 90 verse 1, Thou hast been our dwelling places in all generations. 
Every generation has lived in the sphere of God's influence. Psalm 72, verse 5. Let them fear while the sun endures and as long as the moon throughout all generations. So every generation before us has seen the same sun. Every generation before us has seen the same moon. After we die, people are going to look up in the sky. They're going to see the same moon. And they're going to see the same stars. They're going to see the same sun. But, even that sun and that moon is decaying. But it's the best picture that we have of emphasizing that every generation deals with the very same God. Psalm 100 verse 5. For the Lord is good, His loving kindness is everlasting, and His faithfulness to all generations. But thou, O Lord, dost abide forever, thy name to all generations. Thy name, O Lord, is everlasting. Thy remembrance, O Lord, throughout all generations. Thy kingdom is an everlasting kingdom. Thy dominion endures throughout all generations. The Lord will reign forever. Thy God, O Zion, to all generations. Praise the Lord. It's always the same God throughout the history of mankind. We are dealing with, we are experiencing the very same God. Later we're going to see that God is referred to as the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. We worship the very same God that Abraham, that Isaac, and Jacob did. And our children are going to worship the very same God that Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob did, and we do. And we do. Uh, I would submit to you that it is extremely helpful for ensuing generations to understand and know that they worship the very same God that their forefathers worshipped. I would submit to you that there is an incredible benefit in being a part of the same church for generations. Now, there are a number of families in our church that are multi-generational. That generations have grown up in the church. It is one practical illustration of how every generation is worshiping the same God. I delight in the fact that I've had the privilege of being here for 29 years and one month. Alright? And in that period of time, I've had the privilege of marrying individuals and then uh, seeing their children born and dedicating those children and 
marrying those children and seeing them have children and dedicating those children to the Lord. I've had the privilege of ministering to three generations. There is a constance there. There is a stability there. There is a relationship that exists because of that relationship in the family over a long period of time. All I'm saying is that is just a minuscule illustration of what it means for all of our ancestors to have worshipped the very same God. And all of our descendants will worship the very same God. And his relationship to them will be just like his relationship to us. Which is just like his relationship has been to his people down through the ages. Three, God is eternal whereas man is not eternal. Psalm 49, verse 11. Their inner thought is that their houses are forever and their dwelling places to all generations. They have called their lands after their own names. But man in his pomp will not endure. He is like the beasts that perish. Man has a tendency to fail to view It's frailty. It's limitations. Uh, We need to come to grips with the reality that we won't live forever. The psalmist says that we are uh, to apply our hearts to wisdom. We are to number our days. We are to remember that the Lord has given us uh, 70 years. And if by reason of strength, maybe 80 or 90 years. But life is short. It is brief. We have a tendency to live our lives like we've lived forever. And we are going to live forever. But nothing could be further from the truth. And so, we need to remember that man is made... From the dust of the earth. Just as a father had compassion on his children. So the Lord has compassion on those that fear him. For himself knows our frame. He is mindful that we are but dust. Man's kind life is short lived. As for man. His days are like grass. As a flower of the field. So he flourishes. A grass. That is green. In the summer. And brown in the winter. Psalm 103 verse 16. When the wind is passed over it, it is no more. And his place acknowledges it no longer. We aren't compared to the mountains. We're compared to grass. That so quickly dies and passes on the scene. But God is never dead and gone. Psalm 135 Verse 13, Thy name, O Lord, is everlasting. Thy remembrance, O Lord, throughout all generations. God has life in and of Himself. 
God is self-existent. And one application of that great truth is that God is independent where we are dependent. Mankind is struggling for independence. We crave independence. We value independence. So countries want to be independent. We celebrate Independence Day in which we were no longer dependent upon Great Britain. And we became self-ruling. We became free because we were independent. Children long for the day. Teenagers long for the day in which they're going to be independent of their parents. When they can go on. When they can start their life. We worry about, we fret about becoming dependent again. When in our older age, we may become feeble and have to rely upon our children. We don't want to give up our independence. We don't want to, start, start, uh, we don't want to stop driving. We don't want to become bound in our homes. We crave independence. But unfortunately, sometimes we believe that we have achieved independence. But we are a dependent people. In Him, we live and move and have our being. We are totally dependent upon God. But God is not dependent upon us for one iota. Part of the humility, part of a recognition of who we are, when the psalmist asks the question, Who is man that thou art mindful of him? Or the son of man that thou visitest him? That's a question that most people wouldn't ask today. Well, of course God's going to care about me. I'm important. Of course God would send his son for me. I'm important. And the psalmist said, What's man that God would take recognition of him? The eternality of God teaches us that God is self-sufficient. Not only is God self-existent, but He is self-sufficient. Meaning that He doesn't need us. The creative activity of God was not a result of a need in the Godhead. It wasn't a deficiency. It wasn't a lack. God did not create us because He needed fellowship. God did not save us because He needed us. God doesn't need us for anything. He has chosen to use us. He has chosen to use us to bear the gospel. But He could have used angels. He could have written it in the sky. Even as in the book of Daniel that He writes uh, the handwriting on the wall. Uh, God is infinite. God doesn't need us. 
We are not central. He is. God is eternal and reigns forever. Psalm 90, verse 2. Before the mountains were of old, or thou didst give them to the earth and the world, even from everlasting to everlasting, thou art God. Now notice the change. Now it's not Jehovah. Now it's the supreme ruler. There is no successor to God. We can look back in American history and recount many different presidents, starting with George Washington, and I can't go down to the present day. I don't know all the presidents in order. But as we think about, there have been many successors. There is no successor to God. He's the same in every generation. There is no one that is going to replace God. He will not depart from the scene. God's sovereignty will always endure. Psalm 145, verse 13. Thy kingdom is an everlasting kingdom. Thy dominion endures throughout all generations. We're back to that. God's kingdom, God's rule is never, ever overthrown. It is never diminished. God is faithful forever. How blessed is he whose help is in the God of Jacob, whose hope is in the Lord is God, who made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, who keeps faith forever, who executes justice for the oppressed, who gives food to the hungry. The Lord sets the prisoners free. And then the psalm ends with the application, The Lord will reign forever. Thy God, O Zion, to all generations. Praise Jehovah, the self-existing, eternal God. The one who made heaven and earth and everything that's in it. God will never be supplanted. Which teaches us that there is no reason to fear. There's no reason to fear. God's kingdom cannot be overthrown. There have been periods in our history when we've feared more than other times. There was the Cold War. And uh, we feared in that time. Uh, in the uh, 50s and 60s, uh, there w were a lot of bomb shelters that were made. And uh, some of you can remember, like myself, I can go back to the days in which we had drills in elementary school preparing for an atomic attack. And we would sit under our desk as though that was going to somehow save us. But that's what we were told. To. Can you remember sitting under your desk? Because an atomic attack may come. I remember going home and asking my parents, what is an atomic attack? And uh, as they began to explain this, wow, that would be a terrible thing. Our country was afraid of being attacked. There was a period of time in our nation where that was the biggest issue in people's minds. In a presidential election, it was who was going to be the best individual to deal with foreign governments. Who was going to be strong on defense? It was no accident 
that many of our presidents served in the armed forces and were generals, people of mobility, power, because there was a fear that we were going to be conquered. And then all of a sudden, we had 9-11, and there was a fear that a foreign nation was going to come. Now the fear is that we're not going to be conquered by force, but maybe economically. Maybe China is going to call its debt. And as a result, we are going to be subjected to China. The fear is that we're going to be overcome. But the reality is, when the psalmist says, I will lift up my eyes unto the hills, from whence cometh my help, my help comes from Jehovah, who will never be defeated and cannot be overcome. Since God is eternal, all of His attributes are eternal as well. We could have gone on ad infinitum. I just picked a few for uh, example. Psalm uh, God's truthfulness will always endure. For His loving kindness is great towards us, and the truth of the Lord is everlasting. He doesn't go back on His Word. He doesn't change His Word. He doesn't learn as He goes along. God's righteousness will always endure. Thy righteousness is an everlasting righteousness. God is never going to get to the place where He begins to sin and do evil. God's loving kindness will always endure. I'd like you to turn with me if you brought your Bibles. Uh, If you brought your Bibles, turn with me to Psalm 136. Psalm 136. For this is a poetic lesson for us. I'm going to read the first half of the verse, and you may have a different translation. So I'd like you to read the second half of the verse with these words. His loving kindness endures forever. Some may say his faithfulness endures forever, or his goodness endures forever, or his kindness endures forever. But since we're going to do this in unison, please say his loving kindness is everlasting. That's what we're going to say. His loving kindness is everlasting. So give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. Give thanks to the God of gods. Give thanks to the Lord of hosts. To Him who alone does great things. To Him who made the heavens with skill. To Him who spread out the earth above the waters. To Him who made the great lights. The sun to rule by day. The moon and stars to rule by night. To him who smote the Egyptians and their firstborn. And brought Israel out from their midst. With a strong hand and an outstretched arm. To him who divided the Red Sea asunder. And made Israel pass through the midst of it. But he overthrew Pharaoh and the army in the Red Sea. To him who led the people through the wilderness. To him who smote great kings 
and slew mighty kings. I got caught up here. In my turn the page. Sihon, king of the Amorites. And Og, king of Bashan. And gave their land as a heritage. Even a heritage to Israel, his servant. Who remembered us in our lowest state. And has rescued us from our adversaries. Who gives food to all flesh. Give thanks to the God of heaven. Guess what the point of this psalm is? His loving kindness is everlasting. Why 26 refrains? To give us a sense. It's everlasting. It's everlasting. It's everlasting. It's everlasting. And you could use that refrain for all eternity future. It's everlasting. It's everlasting. It's everlasting. It's everlasting. It never stops. It never quits. God's grace in your life is everlasting. God's power in your life is everlasting. God's truth, God's presence is everlasting. Let me go to six. Though God is not eternal in and of Himself, through God's enablement, we will abide forever. God is like the mountains around Jerusalem. As the mountains surround Jerusalem, so the Lord surrounds His people. And then this word, from this time forth and forevermore. Those who trust in the Lord are like the foundation on which Jerusalem is built. Those who trust in the Lord are as Mount Zion, which cannot be moved, but abides forever. Now, all of a sudden, we are likened to Mount Zion. Mount Zion is the place where Jerusalem is built. It is a small part of the mountains. And the psalmist says, we're like Mount Zion. We can't be moved. Why? Because of Mount Zion's relationship to the entire mountain range. We cannot be moved. Why? Because of our relationship to an everlasting, eternal God. And because He abides forever. He is going to impart to us everlasting life. And we will abide forever. We will have no end. There will be no cessation to our existence. This earthly existence, this bodily existence, will change. But our bodies will be resurrected. There will be a new heaven and a new earth. And we will abide in that earth forever. Why? Because we abide in Him who lives forever. So, conclusion. There is much value in meditating on the mountains. I just encourage you to think about that. As you go out and you look around and just think of the generations that walked in the same place that you walked and the generations that will come after. I deal with the same God forever. The very same Christ will defend us forever and ever. Romans 8.34 Who is the one who condemns? 
Christ Jesus is he who died. Yes, rather, who was raised, who is the right hand of God, who also intercedes for us. Hebrews 7.25. 7.25. Hence also, he is able to save forever those who draw nigh to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. Our intercessor never changes. It's always Jesus Christ. And he's always there to intercede for us. Our ancestors have dealt with the very same God. God is the Abraham, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. It's a statement that is made over and over in the scriptures to teach of God's ongoing goodness to the nation of Israel. And he's our God. We have a, a relationship to the same God Abraham had. And number four, all our descendants will deal with the very same God that we deal with. Salvation doesn't change. Grace doesn't change. Goodness doesn't change. His kingdom doesn't change. God is eternal. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank You that You are the everlasting God, the Creator of the heavens and earth. While we can't begin to really grasp eternity, help us to understand, even by looking at the mountains round about us, that has existed long before we came into being and will exist long after we've passed on the scene. That before there were ever any mountains, you existed. And where there are no longer any mountains, you will exist. For you are the eternal God. Comfort us. Encourage us in the great knowledge that you are a God that we have a relationship to. Just like all those who have gone before us. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you. And you are dismissed.